on the East Coast. My son lives in Fort Wayne, which uh, we'll visit this week later on. But, uh, but the rest of our family, my daughter in Knoxville, Tennessee, and my, the rest of my family, my mom and dad, and my wife's mom and dad lives in Virginia. So uh, we'll be headed to Virginia for Christmas this year. Every other year, that's what we do. And so um, when we go up there, one of the things that we do is, uh, I re- reminded me of this, is one of the things we do is my mom always, she's a big puzzle maker. Yeah, any of you puzzle makers like to make puzzles? She doesn't like little puzzles. She likes thousand-piece puzzles, at minimum, minimum thousand-piece puzzles. So when I get there, one of the things she'll be doing is she'll have this card table out, and she'll have a thousand-piece puzzle, uh, and she'll be working on it. And so the whole time we're there, you just kind of, when you get bored with all the conversations going on, uh, what you do is you go over and work on the puzzle. That's kind of our uh, distraction when we're in Virginia. Uh, when I thought about that, that's so often what we think about when we think about Scripture. It's like a thousand-piece puzzle. It's kind of like this idea that it's something that we... It's, it's a lot of pieces, and we don't know how to put them together. And, and we wonder, how does it fit together, and how, does it, how do we make sense about all the things that are in Scripture? But then I thought about the other end, because a few years ago, uh, actually, we have two grandchildren now, have five-year-old grandson and a three-year-old grandson. And when they came along, I learned that not all puzzles are thousand-piece puzzles. Uh, you know, my grandkids, when they were little, little ones, you have these, like, these... these Real little tiny puzzles. Well, actually, they're big. They got gigantic pieces, and and I discovered I went and looked, and we have these wooden ones, and they have like five pieces, you know, five piece puzzles. And I'm going like, wouldn't it be great if Scripture was more like a five piece puzzle? I mean, how how many of you think you could make a five piece puzzle? Guarantee. Okay, I thank you. Okay, the thousand piece ones, maybe not the the five piece ones. I can do that because um, I constantly do, did that when our grandkids lived here, and they came over to our house. Um, the problem is, for many of us, is that we, we think that Scripture is so big and so impossible we can't possibly do what it says. But I want to let you know that this series we're talking about here is that God has placed us in a, in a position where he wants us to live our life on mission. And to live our life on mission, what we have to do is we have to understand what the pieces are. And I shared with you, and we started this a couple of weeks ago, that really as we talk about this, it really is not that hard. Because we're going to be talking about five action steps that God gives us. It's like a five-piece puzzle. And all we've got to do is understand those five pieces to put together the basic thing that God has called us to do in life. And uh, we said this, that Jesus said that we were to seek and save the lost. Uh, he came to seek and save the lost. And that was his mission. And to be a Christian means we're to be a little Christ. And in a sense, what we're to do is that we're to be like Christ and we're to do the, have the same mission. And he kind of gave us a clue to that in several locations, but one in particular in Acts 1.8 where he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said that, you know, your deal, what you're to be doing is to be witnesses for me, not trial lawyers, not people who beat people up with the Bible. You're to be people who in a real sense are to be my witnesses. And then last week we talked about the first of the action steps and we said this, if we're going to be witnesses to people, what is one step you have to take? To be a witness. Last week's step, by the way, was, anybody remember? Connect. Okay, was it one word? These are one words each week. One whole word. Okay, I'm keeping it simple. Five-piece puzzle. Okay. And uh, connect was last week. We cannot possibly expect to be a witness to somebody if we don't connect with them. And one of the problems that we have in the American church over the long period of time is we've gotten to this place where we think that church, being a Christian, means showing up at church, kind of going to Bible studies, 
and then going home and really doing nothing about it. But that is the farthest thing from the truth in regard to what God wants us to do. He wants us to connect with people. Matter of fact, we talked about this last week, that Jesus constantly got in trouble with the religious people because what did he do? He hung out with people, you know, people who were sinners and tax collectors. We talked about that. People who were far from God. And the reason he did that was not because, you know, that was his favorite place to go. And in a sense, it was, though, because he loved people. But the reason he did it was so he could connect with people who needed to know Jesus Christ. So guess what we need to do? The first action step, if you're to be a witness, is you need to connect with people that are far from God. And you need to find creative ways of doing that. So last week I asked you, the first action step, I asked you to draw a little diagram. It was a, it was a little uh, um, <clears throat> tic-tac-toe board. And in the middle, I want you to put in the middle square, I want you to put your name. And around that, I wanted you to put the names of your neighbors that live around you. And, or if you don't live in the middle of anywhere, you live out in the middle of the boonies somewhere, and you don't have any neighbors, figure out some other group of people that you connect with at work or somewhere like that. And begin to ask yourself the question, Who of these people, number one, do I need to pray for? And number two, do I need to connect with on a regular basis in some way so that I can help them to know who Jesus Christ is? Not because they're your project, but because you love them. Because remember what the big big purpose and the great great commandment was? One time somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And he said this. He said, love your Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second, which is really attached to the first, is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of you this week are going to be, uh, if you're in a small group that's studying uh, this same curriculum, Life on Mission curriculum, and you have a video and you're going to be doing some stuff in your groups, you're going to be studying a famous passage of Scripture called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, the question is asked at the end of that parable, who's my neighbor? And uh, it was basically to try to limit, the guy that was asking the question was trying to limit who his neighbor was, not trying to expand upon it. But the issue is, is you know, that's the issue. We're to love our neighbor. Our neighbor is anybody we encounter along the way. And so this morning, though, what I wanted to do is I want to look at a famous passage, a different famous passage of Scripture that really helps us to understand probably better than anything else about what it means to serve and what it means to be a servant. Because the second step after connect with people, to be a witness is to serve people, is to serve people. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you want to turn with me on your Bible, your iPad, your Android phone, whatever you do to read Scripture on, I, I, it's kind of a weird thing nowadays. It used to be, say, turn to your Bibles. Now, hardly anybody turns to their Bibles. Now they just flick on their screen. But that's fine because it still works, okay? Same deal. And uh, matter of fact, that's what mine is this morning up here is my iPad. And so um, turn to Acts, I mean, excuse me, to John chapter 13, John chapter 13. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that uh, I love because really it's probably the, I would call it the highlight, one of the highlights of scripture. Now it's interesting because as I was reading through John in preparation for this, but also in my personal quiet time, I was reading through the gospel of John. Um, I noticed something, the first 12 chapters of the gospel of John is answers one question, and that question is, how can I have life in Christ? And then the second, the next part of John, John chapter 13 through 17, in a real sense, uh, answers the question, well, once you have life in Christ, how can you live your life out in Christ? How can you have what the, the Bible says, have abundant life? And so we may, you may be hearing that as a series next year sometime, John 13 through 17, as we talk about this whole thing of what it means to live our life in Christ. It talks about the abundant life. Matter of fact, John uh, 10, 10 is kind of the outline for that where it says, you know, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
And so it kind of gives you the outline of the first part of John and the second part of John. So that's just extra this morning, by the way. It's just something that came up, and I've been praying about what to talk about next year, because I know what we're talking about up through December, but next year's another, another whole deal. So John chapter 13, though, beginning with verse 1, is a, is a passage of Scripture that's, that's, that's really it's an, encounter, uh, an encounter with Jesus. And like I said, the parable of the Good Samaritan you will study in your small group this week um, is a story that Jesus told. This is actually something that Jesus did. And so it's a powerful visual uh, message about what being a servant is. And so let's read this together. And what I like to do this morning is read this together, talk a little bit about it, talk about what's a couple of things I've seen it, and talk about some applications for it as well in regard to us understanding the whole thing of what it means to be a servant. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, some translations says he loved them fully or completely. It means he demonstrated, what he's saying here is Jesus at this point in time was demonstrating his love as completely as possible. He was getting ready to demonstrate it completely, and that was going to be upon the cross. But he was doing this in this world. He was trying to help them to understand that he was loving uh, people and demonstrating that in various ways. Then in John, then in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and he did something really strange. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Verses 5. Following. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And let's not get too hard on Peter, because this understanding, probably most of us would not want Jesus to wash our feet. If we think about it, here's Jesus, the Son of God. He's going to do something for us, and we're going like, no, 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 that's something that a servant does. In that culture, what would happen is because of, of the way that the culture was, you walked everywhere. And because the roads were not paved like they are today, they were dusty, and they were just dusty, dusty paths. And so as they would walk, and they had sandals on, or some people even bare feet as well, they would come to a place in the house. And one of the things that was normal for people to do is if you had hosted a party, is that you would either wash your, your, the people's feet that would come in, or you'd have a servant to do that. But here the guy's word is kind of hanging out, and so nobody had done that. And so Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Remember, Peter just said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. But then Jesus says, unless I'll wash you, have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon replied, changes his tune, not just my feet, but wash my hands, my head. Just give me a whole bath. That's basically what he's saying. See, Peter could not understand how Jesus had taken that position that, you know, of a servant, of doing something that was menial. Uh, it dawned, but it dawned on him that it didn't seem right. But he, he says, you know, but when Jesus changes and explains to him, unless I wash you, he still didn't understand what was going on. At least Peter didn't. Unless I wash you, you had no part with me. It's interesting how Simon Peter suddenly changes his tune. He's going like, man, you know, I don't want you to not just wash my feet. I want you to wash all part of me. And then Jesus explains a little further in verse 10. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you were clean, though not every one of you. And what was he referring to? He was referring to Judas, who was getting ready to betray him as well. 
For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And then in verse 12, it says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, had taken off his outer garment, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, and he says, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And then he says this, now that I am your Lord and teacher, now that I, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I don't think they still understood what this meant at this point, because they took it very literally. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, if you will do these things, you will be blessed if you do them. <clears throat> now, when you read that passage, it kind of seems like a straightforward thing of a, somebody foot. There's, there's some denominations that actually, or a denomination or two that actually takes it uh, literally and actually washes feet. Uh, my parents grew up brethren when they were young. And the brethren church, one of the things they do on a regular basis is they have foot washings. Uh, and and that's, there's nothing wrong with that except that's a literal interpretation of something that here was much deeper than simply just about washing feet. Because there was a couple of things that were going on here that, uh, that I think are interesting about this chapter of Scripture. Number one, it's the context of what's happening. The awareness that Jesus had about what was happening with his team and what he was trying to teach them. Because if you'd read the scripture in the context of everything around it, you'll know that his team of disciples, the guys who had followed Jesus now for two, almost over two years, his team was having a hard time getting along. Uh, they were, they were, there was a bit of jealousy, a little bit of ego, a little bit of competition going on. I mean, I don't know what the conversations were like, but I'm sure it was like, well, you know, I spent some time with Jesus last night. We had this, like, special meeting. You know, you kind of do that. It's one-upsmanship, you know, on things. Uh, Jesus had me come by to do this, you know. And they kind of had that going on. It was kind of like this, this position shifting where they wanted to talk about who was closest to Jesus, and they wanted to talk about who was closest in his kingdom and all these different things. So it was this, this whole thing going on. Well, they were just, basically, when Jesus probably came into this meal, they probably had, were upset with each other, most of his disciples. There was a little bit of this bickering going on and arguing. And then in the middle of, uh, middle of this argument, in this meal, Jesus walks in. And I wonder, I wonder if, if you know, this is Jesus, of course, so he probably was very aware of things. But it, it was kind of like, have you ever walked into a room and you didn't really know what was going on and you felt like the whole atmosphere was a little tense? And you're saying, you say something like, oh, what's up, guys? And nobody talks. Nobody says anything. And you're kind of wondering, like, you know, what's the deal? And, and, and that's kind of what was going on here. And, uh, and, and Jesus, he walks into the room, and this is tense situation going on. And all the disciples, you know, all the disciples that evening, as they walked into the room, they probably hit sitting in most of the homes in that day, there was a wash basin and a towel. And it was there on purpose, and usually it was there on purpose for the purpose that if you came into the house, your, your feet was to be washed. It was this kind of a cultural thing. It's kind of like I learned when I came to Illinois. We don't do this in Virginia. I don't know why, but you do this in Illinois a lot. I, I, nobody in Virginia takes their shoes off when they go in people's houses. What's the deal in Illinois, you know? Uh, maybe is the dirt different here? I don't know what the deal is. But when I came here uh, 12 years ago and I went to somebody's house and for like a small group or something, you know, there's this whole pile of shoes at the front door. And I'm going, and now if you don't do that, maybe you're from a different region or whatever, but I mean, I was, what's the deal with that? It's a cultural thing. 
You know, I really don't think our dirt's that much different in Virginia than it is here. Maybe it is. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, that's just a culture. It's kind of like that, okay? Okay. Somebody explain to me someday about the, taking the shoes off here, you know? Because I'd rather you have your shoes on if you have, you know, smelly feet. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and you'd rather me have my shoes on sometimes too. Okay. But the issue is, what I'm simply saying is this. That was a cultural thing. And because of that culture, people, all of the disciples had walked right by the wash basin. They'd all walk right by the towel, and none of them, these are the guys that had followed, the closest followers of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who'd walked right by all this as they walked in, and they probably were going like, well, I'm not going to wash his feet. I'm not washing Thomas's feet. All he does is doubt. You know, I'm not going to wash Peter's feet. He's got a temper issue. Somebody's, he needs to wash everybody else's feet. He can chill out a little bit. You know, I'm not going to wash, you know, let somebody else, let one of those disciples that nobody knows what's their name is, like Thaddeus or Bartholomew. They're not going to write any books in the Bible. You know, nobody's going to know them. You know, they're kind of the nameless disciples. Let one of them. They're not as famous as Matthew, Mark, Luke, you know, all these guys that write the big books in the Bible, you know, those kind of guys. So they all walk by the, by the basin. So Jesus walks in, and guess what? Everybody still has dirty feet. And it's a cultural thing there. They're supposed to not have dirty feet. And so they all walk by. And the context of the intensity and the competition and the offense that's going on in this room, and the amazing thing is Jesus understands that. And so one of the things he does is he decides that he's going to take care of this, and he's going to take and do the thing that usually the lowliest person, or at least the host does in this house, he's going to wash their feet. That's the first thing I noticed about the context. The second thing I noticed is about the incredible timing of this. Out of everything that our Savior could exemplify, that he could teach at this time, that he can model to his team, uh, this is what he decides to teach about servanthood. Because remember, when was this taking place, if you read Scripture in the context? It says he knew this was getting ready to happen. Judas had already been prepped to betray uh, betray, uh, Jesus Christ. All these things, it was, really, it was really close to the time when he was getting ready to be killed, to be crucified and, and to be resurrected. And, and, and remember, this is the team, these guys that he was with was the team that after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit shows up, they're going to take, take the gospel and they're going to take the gospel and take the ball down the field and they're going to be the one he's going to hand it off to. They're going to be the ones responsible for telling the story and sharing the love of God to all kinds of people. They're the ones who will be the first ones to carry out Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what these guys are going to be doing. And how does he tell them to do this? He shows them what it means to be a servant. So the timing of Jesus going to the cross several hours after that, he gives them this example. He gives them this example. And I think what he's trying to say to them and he's trying to say to us as well today is this. This is huge. This whole idea of serving is not like, let me explain something to you here. And if some of you will take this out, of, you've already taken it out of context already. I'll tell you that because a couple conversations I've had. This whole deal about the five action steps we're going to take, none of them are optional. So often we're going to go, yeah, I just want to connect with people. I'm going to go party with some friends. You know, that's all I want to do. You know, I don't want to do anything else. You know, and they'll grab a hold of the connect thing. Some of you will be all about this week. Serve, serve. You're all into serving. You'll, you're all into serving. And it's great. You need to be all into serving. Next week we talk about share. Some people, man, this is about telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. You'll be into that. Or talking about grow, about, or, or talking about prayer. Those five steps. They're five. It's like my, my preschool, uh, grandkids five-piece puzzle 
If you leave a piece out, it's even worse with a thousand-piece puzzle. But if you leave a piece out, what happens? It's incomplete. The picture is incomplete, so put all of these together. You have to connect with people, not just so you can party with people, okay? You have to connect with people because you love people and you want them to know who Jesus Christ is. But one of the best ways, and what Jesus is saying here is this, one of the best ways to do that is by serving. So let me give you a couple of things I learned from this passage myself, and I hopefully you can take these and, and apply them in your own life as well. Because it's not about just knowing, it's about doing. I love the, the quote that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. <clears throat> I love that Star Wars 7 is getting ready to come out sometime in the near future. It's like all the news right now. Star Wars 7, yeah. You know, I'm not really that excited about it. But anyway, you know, if, if you like science fiction like I do, and I'll, you know, I do, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. But one of my favorite characters in all of Star Wars is Yoda. A three-foot-tall dude, you know? And Yoda's so cool because Yoda doesn't speak really good English, but he has great quotes. And one of, he, yeah, and one of his, 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 probably his favorite, the favorite quote of all time from Yoda is this. It's, do or do not, there is no try. And I don't know how to say it in the Yoda voice. I mean, Rob earlier in our, our prayer room, we were back there studying. Rob does a perfect Yoda voice. And I'm going like, Rob, I can get on stage here this morning to do the Yoda thing. But no, that's all right. So, you know, do or do not, there is no try. The issue here, the issue that here that Jesus is saying is that this is not hard, but I want you not just simply to try. I want you to do. And so Jesus begins to teach. He begins to teach his, his, uh, his followers about, about serving. And so... A couple of things that I learned from this passage that we should do, not just try, that we should do, is this. Number one, I found out is this. Um, the first thing I saw Jesus do, and this was really simple, he got up from the table. He got up from the table. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, you know what that speaks of? It, to have a heart to serve, you've got to get, be willing to get involved. Jesus could have sit at the table and said, hey guys, you need to serve me. Or guys, I think it's great. Let's, have, let's pray about it, okay? But Jesus didn't say any of those things. What he did is he got up from the table, he goes over to the wash basin, he picks up the towel, he, he does these things, he gets involved. Nothing drives me, and I hope it drives you more crazy, than getting with a group of people who are simply saying, I've been around this before, and hopefully, thankfully, most of the time somebody says, well, we need to do something. You'll understand. I, this, this is riling me up. That's why I have to can't complete sentences here. Um, but the issue is this. Go to, go to a group and you pray about something. You know, I remember being in a group one time and we were praying about this lady down, this lady that was living in our community who was, who was uh, going to have to, she was having to get out of her house and go to this other place. And, and, you know, and, there, and, and, us, and then she needed, she didn't have much help. She was a single mom. And, and, and we said, let's pray about it. Somebody said, let's pray about it. And I'm going... We don't need to pray about it. What she needs to pick up truck and some people. I mean, we're the answer to her prayer. And so often what we want to do is we want to sit around and just pray about it. It's good to pray. We're going to talk about that. Week five, five act, fifth action step, pray. Cover everything in prayer. But guys, sometimes we simply want to pray about things when the need is right next door to us and we can do it. And if we can't do it, we probably know somebody who can some simply said, Jesus, the first thing he did is he didn't simply sit around and say, let's talk about this, let's have a Bible study and, and study the, you know, the five ways we can do No, he said, let's do this. So he does this. He has this, 
There's a time to sit at a table and talk about it. There's a time to sit at the table and think about it. There's a time to get up from the table and get involved. We don't say amen here, do we? This is when in a black church, the people would be saying amen, hallelujah, preach on, you know. I'm going to train you guys or something, you know. We just got to have a response. I hopefully some of you are shaking your head. That's kind of about as much as it gets here. You know, so, yeah, okay. Anyway, he put legs to what he believed, and he said, I don't, I, he wants us to do the same thing. Do you understand that? Jesus got it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus wants us to get involved. Okay, number one, get, get up and get involved. That's the first thing I learned. Servants get involved. Servants get involved. That's one of the things we have to understand. Number two, the second thing I learned from this is he stooped down. He stooped down. Now, you're going like he doesn't say that. You know, let, let me, how do you wash a person's foot, feet without getting low? You know, you just can't do it. You can't do it. He stooped down. The Bible says that he took that towel, he wrapped it around himself, then he stooped and he got low. You know what that speaks of to me? That speaks of humility. He humbled himself. He didn't think about, well, I'm trying to, you know, the the disciples, remember before this, they were all talking about, they had to have these discussions about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's going to be in Jesus' right hand? Who's going to do this? Who's going to have this job? You know, that's kind of what we want to do sometimes. We want to, like, well, what position am I going to hold? Well, that's not the deal. Jesus was showing us that it's, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And the reality was, he, who was he washing the feet of? Perfect people? <laughs> you know, we think because they were disciples of Jesus and there was inner circle, they were perfect. Think about who he washed the disciples' feet that night. They, number one, they were all disciples who had been arguing and bickering about stuff. Number two, there was this guy named Judas in the room. He washed his feet, and Judas was the guy that was prompted by Satan to, to betray Jesus. And number three, there was this guy named Peter, who Peter was always, you know, the guy who was always saying things without actually thinking about what he was saying. You know, he's the kind of guy that had foot and mouth disease. He needed to stick his foot in his mouth more often and not say things because he all constantly said really dumb things that simply, you know, he wouldn't follow up. on. He said, Jesus, I'll never betray you. What did he do? I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll never deny you, Jesus. He constantly, he did it. Jesus told him that later he was going to do it. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it that. But he did it anyway. He was washing those, he was washing the feet of people who didn't deserve for their feet to be washed. See, the thing is, folks, the lesson I learned from this is this. If you're serving people, most of the time, you're going to be serving people who really don't deserve to be served. But that's not the issue. The issue is if you love people, you do that. I remember being many years ago in 1996. I actually remember the time. It was in February of 1996. There was the first ever Pastors Promise Keepers Conference. It was a huge event in, in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Georgia Dome. There were 40,000 pastors at that event, the largest gathering of pastors in the history of the world probably. And I got to go there and, and be a part of that and, and experience that. But one thing, you know, there's, there's always guys doing things and on stage, and, and I don't think they meant it as a negative thing, but one of the things that they did is one of the guys who was a well-known pastor, 
This other pastor comes up and talked about, he introduced him, he said, I respect you so much, and he went on all this stuff, and he says, matter of fact, I respect you so much that I just want to wash your feet to show how humble I am before you. And so on this jumbotron, it makes that screen look like, like, you know, like this big. You know, it was this massive screen of Georgia Dome. Here's this guy washing this guy's feet because he, because he admired him so much. That's not the reason you wash people's feet. They missed the point. The reason you do it and what Jesus washed their feet for was because he was trying to say, hey, when a person has a need, it's, you meet the need not because they deserve it, but because you love them. See, servants serve imperfect people. Servants serve imperfect people. You know, there's people here today, I, I, I wonder about this, but I know this is true probably. There's people here today wondering, you know, is there a second chance for me? Is there hope for me? Because, you know, I messed up in my life and I showed up at church because I just want to come and find a place of hope. And I want to give you the good news. This passage tells us that Jesus loves you so much that he would stoop to wash your feet too. Because he, done, he would do it for any of us because he loves us that much. The last thing I see in this scripture, which is a great trait when it comes to a heart to serve or demonstrates the power of serving, is what he did. He took the towel and he, in the midst of this chaos, he refocused their energy. He refocused their vision. He said, guys, it's going to be about servanthood. So he's saying this. He said this. Basically, Jesus says this. If we're going to reach people, you got to serve people. If you're going to reach people, you got to serve people. Jesus was willing to get messy. I can't imagine washing some people's grimy feet that have been walking out with no, with no socks and shoes on, doing that, you know, doing that with a bunch of guys. I mean, that wasn't exactly pretty. But Jesus, remember what he said? He said, I came, did not come to be served, but to serve and he showed that that day to his disciples. And so step two of this action plan to living our life on mission, step one, connect with people who are far from God. Step two, serve those people. Serve those people. I want to finish with a story this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, we were, my wife and I, my, my in-laws were snowbirds. They were, past tense. They sold their place in Florida. No more snowbirds. Okay, so we no more visits to Florida. Uh, but uh, but we, we, they, were, they had a place down in Winter Haven, Florida, and so six months a year they lived down there. My father-in-law's a retired pastor, and he was involved down there and loved the place. He was in a, it's kind of an oxymoron. He was, he was in a gated uh, mobile home village. Think about that for a minute. Okay, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, but anyway, it was a really nice mobile home village. You know, concrete streets, uh, really nice pool, community house, the whole deal. It was really cool. But it was gated, you know, so nobody get in and steal the trailers. Uh, never call them a trailer. Okay, but uh, that was the issue. It was kind of funny. But anyway, we go down there. And so every year, for every year we've been here, um, my wife every year, it only went the last couple of years, but my wife every year around February, January, February, her parents would for Christmas would give her every year an airline ticket to fly down there to visit with them. So it was kind of a, kind of a ulterior thing. You know, I get to see their daughter and she would get to spend a w- couple of weeks down in Florida in the middle of these lovely winters we have here in Illinois. And so it was a great deal. So the last two or three years they were down there, I went with her as well. Uh, they finally invited me. I don't know what, maybe I 
earned favor in the family or something. I don't know what the deal was. But it was, that was kind of the deal. But we were down there. And we were down there the last time was a year and a half ago. We were down there for about a week and a half, or a week and a half. And, you know, I loved it. It's, you know, it's nice in Florida. I got to play golf in the winter and do all kind of fun things like that. But the highlight of my trip was the strangest thing I never would have thought of been a highlight. Because they said one day to me, they said, I said, hey, Bill and Vicky, would you like to go over with us? We serve in this community center over in a, in a, in a poor section of Winter Haven, Florida. Winter Haven, Florida is a haven for senior adults, okay? It literally is. And, and so, so the, the thing was, it was crazy, was, was uh, uh, we, we were down there, so they said, sure. So we went down to this community called Eloise that's part of Winter Haven. And you go from this really nice area where lots of people have lots of money and lots of nice homes and all these really cool things and gated mobile home villages and stuff like that. And you go, and you go, to, uh, you go over to this place and all of a sudden just the, the, the uh, community changes. And it's, you go with, it's almost like a slum area. It's just poor, you know, it's one level homes, just really small little places run down, a lot of businesses around that are like factories where these people work and stuff. And I've come to find out basically it's a huge area where lots of migrant workers live during the season when they're there because they work in the factories that are dealing with the orange crops and all the stuff that are down there in that time of year. And, and this community center, and it, was, it was called the Angels Care Center of Eloise, um, it was a place down there that some local churches had gotten together, and who, the local churches were always in the nice section of town, and had gotten together and began to develop this community center. And what happened is, different days of the week, they have some doctors that come in and serve there, get free, free medical care. They had dentists that came in. They had different things. But on Thursdays, they would have a uh, free giveaway of food. So they had all these people that there would be food that was brought in. And what they did is they would give it away. And then they'd also offer, if you came in, you could get Christian literature. It was all in Spanish. And uh, you could all, also what you would do is get literature uh, or actually have somebody pray with you. And so they asked myself and my father-in-law and, a couple, and one other pastor there if we would come and just pray with people. And so I spent about five hours just praying with people I'd never met before. And most of them, I can't even understand what they were saying. It was really interesting. But it was really a, a blessed, blessed experience because in the midst of that, I did meet the one other pastor that showed up. And his name was Juan Madero. Juan Madero has an interesting story. This is what I want to share with you as I leave. Juan Madero had grown up in Puerto Rico. He had moved to Chicago many, 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 many years ago when he was really small. And he and his brother had, had planted a church, a Hispanic church in Chicago area. I don't know exactly where, but he planted a church there. And then he met this girl, this other Hispanic girl from the Winter Haven area. And Juan had gotten married many years before, and then he decided they wanted to move back down to Winter Haven. I don't blame them, Chicago, Winter Haven. You know, it's a pretty good, you know, deal, you know, to go down there. And so he moved down there, and so he decided he was going to plant a church in Winter Haven. And they lived, his, his wife's parents uh, were doctors and, you know, had really, you know, has a lot of, uh, have a really, really sharp bunch of people. And, and, and they were down there, and, and what happened was, is one guy down there started to plant a church and began, he and his wife said, you know, we're going to plant a church over in the edge of Eloise. And what we want to do is begin to reach people there because, and then he realized something. He said, if I'm going to live over here in the, in the wealthy section and plant a church there, it's just not going to work. And so 20 years before that, before I met him, he and his wife had moved into Eloise. And, and they lived there in a little place and they had this little church. But I want to tell you the impact. Because 20 years before, when he moved there, there was gang violence there. There was all kind of things going on there that you would not believe. 
And over 20 years, through the ministry of that little church and one other church kind of like it, the, the community has, has not, it's not perfect by any means, but the community has been changed. And if you drive down on the street where this, this community center is and people come there and then right down the street from that, maybe about a quarter of a mile, is this little church. It's, his whole church could fit inside this room, easy. I mean, everything. It's like two buildings. And the thing is there is he has been serving people. And you know what? What he does during the week is he has a really unique ministry. He has a pickup truck with ladder racks on it. And he has a bunch of tools. And him and a couple other guys from the church go around in the community of people who can't afford to do anything and fix things during the week. And during that, what they do is they begin the process of building relationships with the people there. And over the years, they've gotten a reputation of people who love people because they've served them. And that's what gave him credibility and gave the people of his church credibility. There's some people that live in the wealthier areas of Winter Haven that come into that church, but they're always there in the community serving, serving, serving. They come to the community center there, Angel's uh, Care Center, uh, during different days of the week. The doctors that come there are members of his church and this little poor Hispanic community there. But the reality is, as I was, when I went, left that place that day after spending that day, I, you know, I thought for a moment, you know, the Holy Spirit said something in my heart. It said, today you represented me. Today, you know, your heart was to serve people. And you went there with the wrong impression. I was thinking, man, I really don't want to do this. You know, I'm on vacation. I'm on vacation. That's what you do on vacation. But man, I wish I could, I wish, it was the next to last day. I wish I was telling one, I said, you know, if I was here a few more days, I'd be here every day. Because the impact that I saw in the five hours that I was there at that, that center and being able to impact and talk and pray with people and help meet some basic needs, open doors that it takes years sometimes to open in a community like this. I don't mean to put, put this down, but it simply does. And so I just want to say to you this, you know, God has told us that if you want to live life and live it abundantly, if you want to live a life that's worthwhile, you need, want to live a life on mission. You've got to connect with people first. We've got to get out of our, out of our homes. We've got to get into the community. We've got to get to know our neighbors. We've got to go to places where there's people who need, need help. And sometimes they don't look like they need help, but they might live next door to you in your subdivision. But I'm always amazed by the stories I hear about people who, who need help. And we need to get there, and we need to connect with them, and then we need to serve them. And serving can get messy. But man, Jesus told us in this passage, in multitudes of places, if you want to really live life, that's the way to do it. That's what I've called you here for. Now we've got three more steps to go, three more action points to go, and they all fit in together. Because there's going to come a point in time, we're going to talk about this next week, when people look at you and say, why are you doing this for me? And that's an open door. Connect them with who Jesus Christ is. And we need to be ready for that as well. So we'll talk about that next week, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love and your goodness. I would pray that you would just enable us this morning, just God, to, to understand how important it is to not simply talk the talk, but to walk the walk, God, with you. And, and, and as you did, Jesus, get, all, get, get, get from behind the table, remove ourselves from our prayer circles, 
Yes, we need to pray, but then we need to, prayer needs to drive us into action. Because so often, God, as we pray about things, it should enable us to understand that we can be part of the answer to the prayer. You are calling us to serve you just as you called your disciples to serve around that, around that circle that day, in, in that room, in that, in that upper room. We pray, God, that you would enable us as a church to be known as a church who cares so much that we give more resources away than we keep ourselves. That we serve more than we, that we spend more time outside of this building than we do inside of this building. That, that we do it, God, because we love people so much that we can't just stay here. We got to go and we got to connect with them and we got to serve them and we got to love them. And that's one of the greatest ways we can do that. Thank you, God. Help us to, to do something about it in our lives. And just help us, God, to stay on track and understand that real living, real living, is living a life on mission for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.